Welcome to Euractiv's Tech Brief podcast. My name is Theo Bourgerie-Gons, a journalist here at Euractiv. This week, we look at the Platform Workers Directive, a key piece of legislation that looks to ensure all platform workers have the correct contractual status. It is due to be presented to Labour Ministers next Monday, 12th of June, in the hope to agree a common position among member states after months of a stalemate. The legislation that's in the making is set to bring forth ambitious new tools. First, it creates a legal presumption of employment, where self-employed platform workers can be reclassified as full-time employees if they meet a certain number of criteria that determine subordination. Second, the directive creates new regulatory provisions for algorithmic management in the workplace. Platforms, meanwhile, have expressed great concern this directive could hinder business operations across Europe and lead to mass unemployment. To better understand Platform's position, we're pleased to welcome Andrew Byrne, Global Head of Public Policy at Uber, to the Tech Podcast this week, who will tell us more about what platforms are worried about, what they want, and whether the directive can give them that. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website Euractive.com. This is Euractive's Tech Brief Podcast. Andrew, welcome to the Tech Podcast. Thank you very much. Wonderful to be here. Cheers. Let's crack on straight away. Um, last week in an op-ed in the Financial Times, uh, a series of digital platform CEOs, including Uber's Dara Khosrowshahi, warned against an EU directive that I quote, focuses almost exclusively on who is an employee and who is not, and does little to improve the rights of the self-employed. Now, can you flesh this out a little bit for us and tell us what Uber is really worried about when it comes to this EU directive? The Platform Work Directive has obviously been around for, for some time, but the proposals have been working its way through um, the different bodies in, in the EU. And, and for the longest time, you know, Uber has been a supporter of the Platform Work Directive. We, we genuinely believe that there is enormous scope here to improve the, the lives and working conditions of the, of the over a million people who work in platform work across the European Union. And I think that there are two things that, we would, that we've always asked for and, and think and hope would be counted as part of this, um, of the objective of this directive, which is that, uh, one, we get to more legal certainty. We know there is a debate about the status of these individuals who work on the platform, uh, work on platforms across the EU. And we also know there is, um, uh, you know, we share the objective of cracking down on what we, what people consider bogus self-employment, but we really do believe that the careers and drivers that work on platforms like Uber are self-employed. And so we'd like to see a, a directive that provides greater legal certainty for those individuals to see whether they are self-employed or employees. And then second of all, for the, for the ones who are self-employed, truly self-employed, uh, we think there's enormous scope to improve their working conditions. And so whether that's um, the provision of the, the enabling the ability for these individuals to have representation, helping these people access work more effectively, and to also introduce social protections in Europe that mean that um, if the worst does happen for an individual, whether that's sick pay or holiday pay or even pensions like we, like we have in the UK, we think that these things are possible and, and, and things that we can be introduced that would help improve the, improve the working conditions of people who are self-employed. Do you think at this stage that the text provides the legal certainty that Uber is looking for? 
We don't think it does, to be to be quite honest. We do think there's um, there's there's really significant question marks over the text that as written right now, which means that it doesn't provide the legal certainty that that, that I think Uber and other platforms have been have been asking for. And I think a lot of that is is based around this concept of control. And so, you know, what, how much platforms and others uh, others control the individuals that um, that work on the uh, that, that that choose to work on these platforms is something that we think needs to be clarified. And really, really as precise as possible. Otherwise, that these this, the implementation of this directive is going to happen very unevenly. We believe, and it's going to lead to litigation in you know in numerous countries around the European Union over the next five years. You've talked about bogus self-employment, and that's very much uh, an angle that the Commission has taken very, uh, very fiercely, um, because the Commission talks that says that up to five point five million. Uh, platform workers across the EU might actually be victim of bogus self-employment. And at the same time, it's very clear that Uber, what Uber claims is that actually the drivers want that flexibility at all, at all costs. Now, can we have both flexibility and full-time employment go hand in hand? Or are these two inherently mutually self, um, self-exclusive? It's very hard to see a future where someone can be a, an employee and have the, the, the same type of flexibility that the platform economy offers. Now, I think often flexibility has become to seem such a such a common term in this debate that it almost obscures what we really mean by flexibility. Flexibility for us means, and for the and for the drivers and couriers work, who work on the platform, means that you choose if, when, and how you work, you you engage with this platform and how you and, and how you work with it. There are different forms of flexibility that can be compatible with employment, but having absolutely zero obligation to work whatsoever and the ability to work up to one hour a week to 25 hours a week, depending on exactly, you know, totally within your control, choosing exactly where to work as well and a type of work to engage in and having the ability to work for multiple platforms at the same time to sort of pick and choose who you're working for at different times, depending on what suits you. I really do think that's a lot of power and control that's that, that's in the hands of these platform workers, and I think that's a that's a new system. That, you know, that's a relatively novel experience for these a lot of these individuals. And I think having that level of flexibility, control, and power over how they work, and 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 isn't really compatible with full time employment with with traditional employment. And so the, the the promise of platform work, if you like, is that is that there really is this new sort of level of power and choice and control that comes with uh, that comes with these new platforms. We believe there is a way of marrying that sort of level of control with greater social protections, you know, the provision of insurance, the provision of sick pay and holiday pay and pensions. And we do this in different places around the world, having minimum earning standards and things like that, that provide the individuals who work in this sector with with far greater reassurance that 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 they will be looked after and that platforms recognize they have a responsibility to improve their lives and, and, and treat them well but i don't think that stretches towards full-time employment where we you know uber has worked in in in, in full-time employment like in switzerland for example where you know we've ended up employing some of our uh, our couriers in in geneva what we've seen is that uber exerts typically a far greater level of control over uh, over these couriers and drivers than than we do in our in our more traditional markets and there are frankly far fewer of them uh, you know so geneva there are 67 percent fewer platform workers now now they're employees than they were the, when they were independent contractors and we think there's um the platform work directive is a is a fantastic opportunity to get this right but we don't think we don't think the balance is correct at the moment
Okay, that's very clear. Now, I want to go into the nitty-gritty of, of negotiations a little bit because I think it's important and it matters. So bear with me whilst I give a little bit of context for listeners who might not be uh, seasoned uh, platform worker experts. But essentially, at the heart of the negotiations now, and the reason why there's such a stalemate, it seems, between member states, at the heart of that lies a derogation clause that pertains to the legal presumption of employment. So it provides that if a platform meets uh, presumption criteria solely by following national law, then the criteria cannot be considered as met for the purposes of triggering the presumption. And so far, the derogation text is in the recitals, which is non-binding. But I know that Uber would want to push and bring it back to the operative part of the text and make it a binding clause. Now, can you perhaps shine a light as to why you think the specific derogation text is important? And maybe if we do some uh, some uh, um, blue sky thinking, or if we look ahead, what would the impact be for Uber if the derogation remained non-binding, remained in the recitals of the text? It's important to be clear here that Uber, Uber is not asking for, and I don't, I, I'm not aware of any other platform um, companies that are asking for a derogation to the presumption. Right. What we want is legal clarification that we can continue to comply with local laws and collective bargaining agreements and social dialogue agreements without triggering the criteria. And what we mean by that is that, you know, it's clear that the platform work directive has to provide clear legal certainty to platforms. And it means that the things that we do to comply with national legislation should not be held against us in terms of triggering the criteria once the platform work directive is implemented. And, and, and to give you a couple of examples, Uber has, uh, you know, we have collective bargaining agreements for drivers and couriers in Italy and France, for example. Neither of these bargaining agreements would in any way supersede the proposed presumption in favour of employment and the platform work directive. But we do believe that agreements that we sign in Italy and France and places like that should not be included as, as part of the things that can trigger the criteria in favour of, of employment. So we're not seeking to avoid or skirt this idea of a rebuttable presumption in favour of employment. We're just seeking to make sure that the things that we do, that which we, we believe are positive, and some of these are collective bargaining agreements, some of these are safety regulations that we, you know, that we that we introduce in, you know, that we have to abide by in France, in Germany, and other places around the world. But abiding by these safety regulations and collective bargaining agreements, we don't believe should be held against us in terms of triggering the criteria. And so, I, you know, I'm, it, it, from our perspective, it doesn't need to be, we're not asking for a derogation here, but we are asking for significant legal certainty. And we are asking for that to be moved out of the recitals and into the into the text itself. Yeah. And I mean, this this is where the biggest pushback from a few member states has been. And, you know, some member states have actually argued that with this binding derogation or, or such a text in the operative part, um, then really the directive is, is no more than a piece of paper when it comes to the legal presumption of employment. And I was wondering, and maybe this is a bit of a provocative question, but just to clearly sort of understand where, where, where Uber stands on, on this file, is that Uber's hope actually that member states sort of get sent back to the drawing board and come up with a brand new text that provides the legal certainty that you're seeking? It's a good question. I, I, I don't think Uber expects this to be sent back to the drawing board. I think it's really difficult to comment on, on how we see the next week or two going in, in, in Brussels. I think it's, um, you know, as, as you know, I think the reason why we're doing this podcast is that, um, is that it's been significant debate, you know, between member states and, and we expect that to continue. I think that um, our push has been very clearly for this, for this sort of extra legal clarification. Frankly, we don't think it needs to be rewritten wholesale and, 
and, and something else come up with that's completely different. But we do think there are two or three changes to the text as it's currently written, um, even from the text that the, that the council is proposing, that would make a meaningful difference to the, to, to the ability of platforms and, and workers and, uh, around Europe to, to, to comply effectively. And would mean that, um, and that mean that we can, we can make big steps to improve the lives of, of the millions of people that work on platforms in, in, in Europe. And I think that, um, and I think that we will continue to advocate that for that over the next couple of weeks. And we'll be very interested observers and, and to see how this goes in, in Brussels over the next few days. Now, we've talked about the legal presumption um, extensively, and, and really this has, been, this has been at the heart of, of negotiations and the heart of debates when it comes to this file. But there is another considerable chapter that's dedicated to regulating algorithmic management in the workplace and ensuring a uh, high level of transparency so that workers understand how algorithms actually influence their day-to-day. Now, does Uber welcome such regulatory developments, which is very much a first in the EU uh, uh, in, the space of, uh, in the space of employment law? I, th- I think we do. I, you know, again, we, we, we really want to, see, um, we want to see clarity here. And so we want to make sure there is a level playing field for all the participants that in the economy that, that frankly, drivers and couriers can be can be certain about how their data is going to be used, what how, you know, and, and how their jobs are allocated and things like that. And I think we've all got more work to do to improve the communication about how algorithms are used in in everything from how Uber chooses which driver will be dispatched to, to a passenger to who's going to pick up that food for delivery. And I think there's lots more that we can do. We're also sort of aware that there's significant overlap between the Platform Work Directive, the AI Act, and GDPR. And so, you know, whether that's obligations on transparency, human oversight, and all of those different things. And so we do welcome um, some of the algorithmic transparency regulations, but we, we also hope that there's an opportunity to, to be clearer about how these different pieces of legislation will interact and the obligations that will sit on companies like ours. And so really the devil here is in the detail. I think that um, you're right to say that the, the second half of the Platform Work Directive has not received a- anywhere near as much scrutiny as, uh, as, as the first half, that, you know, even from this podcast, if you like. But I think that um, there's still a significant amount of work to do on the, on the AI sort of provisions to, to make them fit for purpose and, and, and make them easily implementable by, by companies like ourselves. Because both the text as it currently stands and the way that it interacts with existing pieces of EU legislation mean that, um, mean that it will be a challenge for us. I have one more question, and, and you've talked a lot about social dialogue, and it was very clear actually in the FT op-ed as well, the importance of social dialogue between platform, self-employed platform workers on the one hand and, and platforms on the other. A good example of how social dialogues could work is what's happening in France, where uh, social dialogue is actually at the very heart of the country's legal system when we, when we think about the development of platforms. I, I, I just wonder, first of all, whether you could tell me a little bit about what in, in, in specific details what this social dialogue actually entail in Uber's mind. Um, and whether you, there have been a number of agreements signed between platform workers on the one hand and platform representatives on the other uh, in the past few months in France, whether you could comment on whether you think these are a, a good, good news, essentially. Um, and perhaps one final thing, perhaps also a bit of a provocative question. Are we creating a world in which we're heading towards a third type of contract that's not completely self-employed, but not full-time employment either? To take your first question, um... Social dialogue. So the, the, the social dialogue process in France, I, I believe, has worked or has at least been significantly positive for the, for the drivers and, uh, and couriers who are on the platform. That said, it's also, we're also at the very start of this process. And so we expect this to continue to evolve over the next few years. We have currently reached um, 
three agreements with the elected representatives of drivers and couriers in France, one on the mobility side on, with, with drivers and, and then two on the delivery side. The first one on the mobility side was has been around changing the minimum fare. So it's, you know, it's a collectively bargained agreement on the fares that, that platforms like Uber charge people. That resulted in a 27% rise uh, in the minimum fare that Uber operates in France. That's a really significant difference. And I think that's something that, um, you know, was, was right at the top of our drivers list on one of the, uh, you know, one of the things they wanted. And I think it's a really been a really important that we've demonstrated that something meaningful can come out of it. And then on the delivery side, we've signed agreements on deactivations, on improving transparency over deactivations, and then also the introduction of effectively a minimum wage. And so, again, you know, I think those are both, if you ask couriers, what are their, you know, the two top issues, earnings and deactivations are absolutely the top of their list. And that's it. So I think that us being able to demonstrate real meaningful progress and the fact that platforms can come to agreements with the elected representatives of, of drivers and couriers, I think is extremely powerful. You know, we hope and we're still negotiating on a couple of different areas. So I hope that we will have more positive news to share over the course of the next, you know, the course of 2023 or the next 12 months. And I think that we recognize that in France and elsewhere, this sort of dialogue with unions and the real meaningful representation of drivers is something that's different for Uber. It's a, it's a way that Uber has changed the nature of our business over the past three to five years. And the fact that we've signed agreements in the UK in Belgium and Italy and France and things like that. And I think it's something that we're keen to see more of. It's something that it's very popular with drivers and couriers, and it's something that can and has shown that they can it can meaningfully improve their day to day lives. And so I think that um, social dialogue in France has been a, it has been positive. We we do recognise that the the specifics of social dialogue and, and and how we will approach these different issues will be different in different places. And so we you know Uber recognises that we will sort of fit into the social, political, and economic context of of the different countries that we operate in and, and, and Europe uh, and Europe overall. But we think that we've got some really concrete, positive things to show in France that, that, that we can, that we can potentially do elsewhere. On the, on the second part of your question around on whether a third status is, is, um, is the, is the right way here. Look again, you know, it's, it's not really for us to say we're happy to fit in with the legal frameworks that currently exist in the UK. As you may be aware, there is a third status between employee and self-employment called worker. And that's that's where Uber does operate in the UK. And so in, in the UK, drivers are able to receive uh, holiday pay, sick pay and, and pension payments and, and things like that, as well as um uh, as well as keeping the flexibility control that they that they enjoy, and so we do think that's a a reasonable model that works for our business in the UK. It, it, it's really a question for the for the politicians who are making these decisions. You know, how, how do we see you know how do we how do we see the legal legal framework evolving in Europe and elsewhere? What we do, what we really genuinely do believe is that um, we believe that self employment is is the right status. For most people who are who, who drive and deliver in in Europe, we believe that principally because they tell us that that's what they want. Most people believe they're self-employed. Most people believe that they are their own boss. And in survey after survey after survey conducted by Uber or independently or by other platforms, we find that drivers and couriers tell us they want to they want to keep their flexibility, and that is their primary interest in all of this. But at the same time, we do believe there's a there's a significant possibility of improving self-employment in Europe and everywhere around the world. 
And so our focus has been improving self-employment and continuing to do that. And that's something we feel extremely passionate about. And, and, and frankly, we've made, you know, we've made some steps already. You know, I'm proud of the fact that um, we offer good work for drivers and couriers. I'm proud of the fact that, um, you know, we have every single person who drives and delivers on our app has access to insurance that covers sickness, injury, and even maternity and paternity leave at no cost to themselves. And that's something that Uber has introduced all around Europe in a way that no other competitor has in, in the market. And we believe that those sort of benefits that we can provide should be codified. And frankly, the whole sector should be providing them rather than just Uber on a voluntary basis. And so we think there's a, there's a huge opportunity here, whether that's a, whether that should be a third status or whether it should just be obligations on individuals who are, who are, you know, platforms that have self-employed workers, I think is more of a question of the, the labor code and employment law. And, and that's more for politicians than it is for the companies like us. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much, Andrew, for taking the time uh, to talk to Euractiv. Thank you so much. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. I am Théo Bourgerigons. Thank you for listening.